You're listening to CFUV 101.9 FM, the voice of Victoria. We're also streaming online at CFUV.ca. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, and iTunes. So pretty much everywhere. Uh, I'm your host, Hugo Wong. This is You in the Ring, your weekly roundup of campus news and events. Uh, Today on the show... uh, The theme of sexualized violence is sadly a consistent topic on campuses in North America after being invisible for uh, many years. Uh, At UVic, uh, policies and procedures for sexualized violence are currently being revised with a goal of finishing next May. Uh, Our correspondent, Miyoko, will be talking to students around campus on this issue, and we'll hear that segment a little later on. Childcare on campus has been increasingly difficult to find. There have been... uh, waitlist for those seeking childcare, but the university uh, has decided to eliminate the after-school care program to provide more spaces for full-time care. Uh, We'll talk to graduate student Jonathan Faber a little later. And then we've got Cormac O'Brien, a staff writer at The Martlet, and The Martlet's editor-in-chief, Miles Sauer, to talk about the president's campus update, uh, which he gave to staff and faculty last week to talk about some of the big initiatives and goals set out over the past year. But first... The UVic Vikes basketball season is about to start, and it's special this year because UVic is hosting the CIS tournament in March, the first time UVic has hosted since 1993. Uh, We've got a forward on the Vikes women's basketball team joining us in studio to uh, tell us more. Uh, Good morning. Morning. Uh, So why don't you introduce yourself for uh, those who might not know? Uh, My name is Jenna Bugiardini. I'm a fifth year on the Vikes, and yeah, this is my last year. I'm looking forward to it. Nice. How does it feel right now, being your your last year? It's good. It flies by. It really, really does. I can't believe it. It feels like I was just in first year, but I'm really looking forward to this year. It's going to be an exciting one for us. Nice. Uh, So you're in the preseason right now, so how's how's that going? Not bad. Um, we've had three games and we've won two of them. Um, mm-hmm. We're going to start getting a little bit more busy and play some tougher teams coming up. Where we have uh, Windsor coming here this weekend, and then we have two big tournaments at the end of October with some top Canadian teams. So that'll be good, exciting for us. Mm-hmm. And uh, when does your season formally start? Uh, we have our first games in November. It's November 2nd. We go to Regina, and then our first home games are the following weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now with, with, the new, with the new year, do you find, like, has the team uh, changed significantly from last season? A lot of our girls, um, we do have a core group of older players who are returning, so we've got to play with each other last year, but we also do have a really large group of freshmen, so it's a bit of a mix. It's kind of getting the freshmen used to the style of play and how we play, and then for the rest of us, it's just refining things we've been working on for the past couple years. Mm-hmm. And have you found that the, the dynamic of the team has changed with like this influx of, of new people? Yeah, definitely. Anytime you have new people, there's de- the preseason is kind of where you work out all the kinks and you get used to how different people play, how they respond to different things. So um, for me for me personally, it's been a bit of learning like how I can lead different people and what I need to do um, yeah, from a leadership perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what do you feel are the, 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 the big strengths of a team going into the new season? Um, I think a big strength is probably we do have a solid experienced group of older kids who are ready to uh, compete at like the with the top teams in Canada. 
Uh, we've been playing together. There's about three of us in our fifth year. Like we have some stronger kids in their third and second year. So I think going into it, that's going to give us that extra edge um, over like some younger teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, what are some of the things that you're going to be working on this season as a group? Well, we've always, since I've been here, it's always been a big priority on defense. We like to play a pressure defense style of game. So we like to be up in passing lanes and play really high energy, high tempo. So our defense is always a focus. And then along that with is rebounding too. Mm-hmm. And do you find that changes sort of with the makeup of the team or is, does that really come from like the leadership side? Um, yeah, a lot of it is our coaches, what strategy they feel would be best. But of course, you have to have the players to play it. And so we do have a very athletic group and even our bigs are quicker and uh, a little longer than some other teams. So they've looked at that and they've seen this has been the best outplay for our team. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there any teams like in the in the Canada West that you see as sort of, you know, that you have your eye on uh, in, in the upcoming games? Yeah, for sure. Well, we have a couple of preseason games against uh, University of Saskatchewan and the University of Alberta, and they're always really tough Canada West teams. No matter what, they always are just a tough team. And then in our conference, UBC is always a big rivalry game. Uh, We'll play Thompson Rivers and uh, UFV. Those will be some good games, too. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're probably going to be spending a fair Mm -hmm. bit of time on the road. Yeah. Now that you're uh, in the next little while, uh, how does that kind of, I don't know, affect uh, school life? Yeah, yeah. yeah, we're used to it. This year, um, they change up our schedule a bit. We used to have to go every other weekend. Pretty much, you're flying to the prairies or you're flying somewhere. So you're leaving Thursday. You miss Thursday. Every other Thursday and Friday of school was usually you're on the road. You come back Sunday. You try to get all your homework done sort of on the road can be tough and then Mm -hmm. Sunday is a busy homework day and then back to school like everyone else on Monday. Mm -hmm. I guess that's something you're probably like used to now given. Yeah yeah it used to be really exciting you'd be like oh we're flying to Regina today but as you get into your fourth and fifth year it tends to get a little like oh no like gotta miss two days of school but like Mm -hmm. at the same time I can't complain it's better than busing across the country. (laughs) For sure um when the CIS tournament uh, happens in March, it'll be hosted here. Mm-hmm. It'll be the, the first time in a long time. Yeah. Uh, does that affect sort of the, the way that you prepare your attitude going into oh, it? 100%. So it's always, as a goal, a team for all the years I've been here, it's like do what you can to get to the national championships, and we haven't done it yet. And so knowing that we have that opportunity, we all summer that's motivated us to earn it our spot there and work even harder I know me personally I was like this is my last year this is a great opportunity for our team so to be able to have that motivation throughout the year is so huge Mm -hmm. Uh, any like specific things that you're going into like say for 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 yourself that you're gonna change up from the last year um I think I'm as I am in my fifth year I'm gonna start working on understanding that I'm leaving something here so as a player I want other people when I graduate to be able to take something that I've done and kind of grow upon that and say yeah like Jenna was really good at that so I'm just kind of trying to leave my mark you know leave an imprint on the younger kids so they can grow and become a better team after I'm gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you mentioned this a little earlier but could mm-hmm. you remind people uh, when you're playing next? 
Yeah, so our next game is this Friday. We play the University of Windsor at 7 o'clock at CARSA. Nice. And uh, how, how can fans get involved? Come on out. We love new supporters. Students get in free to all our games, which is exciting. Um, and yeah, you cheer loud. You can follow us. Uh, we have a VikesWBB Instagram um, and then any UVic Vikes account on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, they follow us as well. <laughs> nice. Uh, we'll have to leave it there. Jenna, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, Jenna Bugiardini is a forward on the Vikes women's basketball team.
That was Desire by Dilly Dally, and catch Dilly Dally live at Lucky Bar tonight, October 11th, with doors opening at 8. No minors for this one. Let's go over some events. Current ideas about wilderness lands and wilderness preservation are heavily influenced by 19th century romantic notions of nature. Recent discussions of wilderness issues have identified these older ideas of wilderness as a problem to be overcome. The resulting new wilderness debate has been vigorous and confrontational. What ideas of wilderness will guide land conservation in the 21st century? Join Ken Luther as he presents on this topic and launches his new book, Boundary Layer, to uh, the Natural History Society. This is happening at the Fraser Building, the law building here on campus, room 159, uh, and that's happening uh, starting at 7.30. It's free, and everyone is welcome. Pioneer of the local food movement and co-author of The 100-Mile Diet, J.B. McKinnon, will be reading as part of Open Word, Readings and Ideas, a literary series hosted by Open Space, in partnership with the UVic Department of Writing. McKinnon will read at uh, UVic on Monday, October 17th at 2.30 in the Human and Social Development Building, HSD, room A240. His reading at Open Space will take place on Tuesday, October 18th at 7.30, with a final talk at UVic on Wednesday, the 19th at 9.30 a.m. in the McLaurin Building, room D281. This will be familiar to anyone listening from last week's show, but the Phoenix 50th Anniversary Festival is in full swing. This week, it's Charles Ross's one-man production of Star Wars, The Dark Knight, and Lord of the Rings. And next week, they're featuring playwright, director, and dramaturg T.J. Daw, whose play Toothpaste and Cigars, written with alumnus Mike Rinaldi, was adapted into the 2013 feature film The F Word, starring Daniel Radcliffe and Zoe Kazan. Next week, he'll be performing The Slipknot, a spellbinding comic monologue about three equally lousy jobs, from stockboy to driver to post office customer service. In terms of hysterical and heartbreaking, frantic and thoughtful, The Slipknot offers wise observations on relationships, Santa Claus, recreational gravel, and why you should never put meat in the mail. That's happening October 18th to 22nd at the Phoenix Theater here at UVic. If you want more information on uh, tickets and times, go to finearts.uvic.ca slash theater slash 50th slash alumni festival. And finally, Dodge in the Dark is coming to UVic on October 13th, 7.30 p.m. at the Carsa Performance Gym. Entry is free for UVic students with your one card and by donation for others. Glow in the dark dodgeball if that's your game. Head on out. A few other uh, UVic headlines. UVic and the BC government announced an $8.7 million investment in Triumph, a Vancouver-based science facility of which UVic is a partner, in a national initiative to bolster Canada's world-class rare isotope capabilities. The contribution comes from the BC Knowledge Development Fund, which supports Triumph's advanced rare isotope laboratory or aerial and rare isotopes are powerful tools for scientific discovery and are also used in medicine and life sciences they're not typically found in nature so they have to be generated by particle accelerators like triumph 
a symbol of engagement between the University of Victoria's law program and indigenous legal traditions has been officially returned. The CBC reported that a First Nations spindle whorl had been at the Fraser building for about 20 years, but it was stolen in June during a break-in. However, after a public appeal for its return, the spindle was dumped outside a downtown storefront, and UVic welcomed the piece back with a ceremony on Friday, September 30th. It is a cedar carving uh, depicting a spindle whorl with a central human figure flanked by two wolf figures and a frog sitting on a painted stand carved to represent ravens, and the carving was not damaged in the theft. And uh, now we go to our correspondent, Miyoko, who spoke to several people on the topic of the anti-sexualized violence uh, initiatives that are happening on campus right now. Well, I've done a lot of work um, for, for mental health um, advocating, and, and so one of the key things I see is uh, people who face sexualized violence, and, and it's already a traumatizing experience to, to go, go through that and to be a survivor of sexualized violence, uh, and it, it impacts people's mental health, and, and seeing that firsthand, and for myself personally, it's, it's seeing these, these different individuals and seeing um, how personal each and every story is, and, and the, the great need for support there is, and seeing the need, seeing some of the statistics, and, and, and hearing some of the anecdotes of, of people who face violence, and, and not had support mechanisms. I mean, uh, the Hunting Ground, uh, a documentary down down in the states, was an amazing um, sort of display of, of how pertinent this issue is. Uh, and so, all of that sort of in conjunction really uh, added to the inspiration. Um, to work with these groups of leaders, uh, be that from UVEC, be that from the Anti-Violence Project, uh, to bring awareness to this issue and, and to bring awareness of the resources on campus. So. Hello everybody, this is Miyoko happily speaking to you again today about the anti-sexualized violence campaign taking place at the University of Victoria, Canada. Yoo-hoo! You just heard Maxwell who is blowing my mind away. I mean, not only he's a young 19-year-old man that he puts his energy volunteering for an issue which has been very taboo to this day, and that he's able to be compassionate with people without having gone through this kind of trauma himself. But listen to this. I run sort of the UVSS side of um, the Let's Get Consensual campaign, and it's it's been a great uh, start of the year. We've done a lot of different um, outreach at, at some of the different events during kickoff, and this is sort of just a continuation of um, the good work from past years, and we're really excited to introduce this theme of supporting survivors, and uh, I think it's, it's a great um, work around the pushing back against sexualized violence, uh, but also understanding that it does occur um, and what can we do when that happens and, and where's the support for, uh, for people who need it and that's what we're really trying to promote today. I feel like I must have missed an episode at some point or that I'm finding myself into the future from the present state of my own country. I mean, I've never heard of such a straightforward campaign in France at a university involving many groups of people and organizations. Or maybe it is that we actually don't need that at all. Like, um, we got it. We are on top of it. <laughs> 
So the Let's Get Consensual campaign is a coalition between University of Victoria Student Society, which I represent, and the Anti-Violence Project. So the Anti-Violence Project is uh, an affiliate organization um, of, of the Student Society. They um, are funded by the students and, and they work for students in, in the similar way to the University of Victoria Student Society. Um, but they really supply a lot of the uh, support work and the, the workshops. Uh, and, and the UVSS, we do a lot of the outreach and the universities provided great support on both the outreach front, the event planning front, and, and the organizational components. One of the really great things is we have a lot of the different service providers on campus that you can sit and talk with, be that the UVic Counseling Services, the Men's Trauma Center, uh, we got uh, VSAC here um, from, from Project Respect. Um, it's definitely, we definitely see people from, from all different uh, walks of life and that's what's really encouraging is having that uh, diversity come together and, and say this isn't just a, a problem for this group, it's not just a problem of this group. Obviously it affects some, some groups more than, than others but saying that together that we can, uh, we can push back against sexualized violence and, and it does need to happen together in, in order for, uh, for us to really shift the, the culture that, that needs to happen. Wow, I just want to cry. I can't believe that this is happening before my eyes. I love the time we're living in. So many important societal changes are happening these days. Kind of like a long extinct volcano that's finally erupting. This is inspiring and I want you to hear Kate, one of the facilitators who run bystander intervention workshops at the university about how any gender has its role to play in participating in this conversation for change to transpire. From my experience, I see a, a, a good mix of all genders and, and backgrounds and ages even. Um, the facilitator team is, we pair men and women to facilitate the workshop, so it's 50-50. And even workshop participants are all sorts of people it's really, it's really refreshing to see that, that everyone understands that they can be involved and that they have a responsibility. It's not, it's not one, one group. So up until talking with Maxwell and Kate, I used to see things like this, that men were being very silent about sexualized violence in France, and that as a woman, I had always feared being rejected if I had dared to openly express my feelings or my experiences with this. I am so moved and humbled by my conversations with the people I met at the campaign stands. And Kate had such a powerful way to explain men's important role in this dialogue with the entire community, which totally kicked my fearful approach out of the way. Again, this program promotes that it, it is everyone's responsibility. And when we talk about issues like this, it's quite common for people who feel that they're their gender has been made to see, be seen as the perpetrator to get quite defensive. And I think that comes from an emotional place of not wanting to be thought of having the potential to, to inflict harm on people. That's where the defense comes from. Um, but defensiveness isn't useful. And that's why we take this community-based approach. And especially with, with men or male-identified folks, um, they do have a certain privilege when talking to other people. Um, there are some some individuals who will hear the message differently when it comes from a male identified person and that's just the way gender dynamics work in our society so it's it's powerful to have people that are in those positions of privilege um, using that place and their voice um, for the the communal message of preventing harm
I find Kate as remarkable as Maxwell, not only because of the many hands-on workshops, support and prevention work she is involved in, but also because the work that she does is certainly helping many of us to widen our understanding of exactly what kinds of situations are considered sexualized violence. So in the workshop we start off by talking about sexualized violence, what it is, and most people are surprised by how all-encompassing the term is because sexual assault is defined as any unwanted sexual contact. And so most people think of very extreme cases when they think of sexual assault, but really it is any unwanted sexual contact. So helping people realize that the full spectrum of inappropriate behavior exists and once they recognize that, then we give them skills and help facilitate their own process in learning how to step in or speak up, even in friend groups um, with strangers, if they see an interaction going on where there's the potential for harm. And the program is different in that we, we avoid labeling groups as potential victims or potential perpetrators and basically reframing the idea of a bystander that everyone can be a, a proactive bystander and everyone is responsible for keeping this campus safe and stepping in when they see something in a in a safe way. I wanted to volunteer with something um, healthcare but also more intimate and emotional than healthcare in the sexual assault center I had seen them through working at the hospital and so I started volunteering with them and then when we started talking about supporting survivors um, it made me realize that there have been lots of experiences in my life that I'm very fortunate to have come out okay of and I think that's a sign that because I'm okay and I'm still here and still trucking along that I feel an obligation to do whatever I can to prevent those kinds of scenarios for other people. Wow. All right, so um, now we're gathered here to listen to our feature poet uh, performance of the day. Down? Yeah. <laughs> um, so Zoe Duhame is a fourth year gender studies and religious studies double major who has been writing and performing poetry for the last seven years. Highlights from her pursuits in writing include coaching and mentoring youth poets around the city, having been the Youth Poet Laureate of Victoria in 2015, competing with the highest ranked poem in the provincial youth slam, Hulaboo, Hulaboo, <laughs> um, and having been a competitor slash victor, judge, and alumnus of honor at the city youth Com competition, Victorious Voices. Her work and inquiries, known as the Rabbit Rights, explores themes of submission, forgiveness, and mercy, queerness, timekeeping, feminism, and religion. Please join me in welcoming Zoe Duhame. I was sitting in the audience of the Anti-Sexual Violence Project event. Beautiful Zoe stepped up in front of the screwed up mic, but that didn't stop her from reciting her poems. Do you know how hard it is to be a night owl when your parents are scared for your life? Every long evening walk by myself was taken without telling anyone slipped from a second story window like a single egg white disappearing into the night. The night owl with the soul of a rabbit having very different feelings, dreaming about the night and trying to walk in it, dreaming of the crisp, the chai, the leaves, the witch's bloom of midnight blue and every constellation looking like the Big Dipper if you were acrobatic enough with your imagination. And then there's the fight. Did the sound distortion bother you at all? I liked it as part of the piece, actually. 
To me, it sounded like a wounded and mutilated voice. Or a voice that was coming out for the first time and that had never spoken before. Just navigating the world in this body, sort of, the world makes you pay attention to it because there are people always shouting, people always taking things that haven't been given to them, specifically bodies I'm, I'm talking about in this regards. Um, I, I feel very strongly about it. I, I have a sister, all my best friends are women, all of my best friends are outspoken feminists and we, we have no, no shame in talking about sexualized violence or we try not to but then there's again the binary of like wow I'm such a such a strong woman who's capable of calling out sexism and then the flip side of that is that of, of course you're still an emotional human who, who does get caught up in things like shame and guilt and regrets. Fear leaving the house anyways staying in the light imagining that every other person on a stroll will grab you by your neck hold you in your most masculine sweater up by the moonlight and hiss I know you are a young woman and everything about you lets me know that nothing about you is yours you will think that they see a legacy in your skirt you will fear that they sense weakness in the wings of a night owl have them and rip them like plated bar food community and conversation I think is really important just to keep yourself emotionally okay is really important to make sure that you have people around you that can listen to you, um, that, that can help you have peace of mind, that can help you mull over things that have happened to you, um, people that, that have your back, um, no matter what comes your way, is, is I would hands down and always the Spoken word in particular has been invaluable to me for that. Um, so I'd also recommend that to anyone who is curious about the art or looking for a very generous group of people, creative people, like incandescent people, to uh, stand beside. So there's a night owl in this body, and then there's the coward. So there's the endless looping around what it means to be a coward, what it means to be cautious about behaving in accordance to safety without wearing out pads in my life. I hate that spoken word for me like I just write it and do it and it's horrifying like today I'm reading you know poetries of my own experiences with sexualized violence in front of my university with a mic and there's there's no hiding um so yeah I'm a braver person probably a more generous person also too um just thinking about what stories you're prepared to tell and I kind of decided a long time ago that like I am prepared to tell any of my stories if it is not too painful for me and if I think that it can help other people then that is I feel personally my obligation I've never encountered a way in my life of helping people quite the same as telling your story and taking up space especially within stories of sexualized violence so I would say try it and if it really hurts um, and if you're unable to deal with the hurt, then that's okay. And I, I don't think that you need to beat yourself up about not being able to write poetry about it. But if it hurts in kind of a good new way that feels like growing and learning and making new friends, then like, I don't know. I want you writing poetry. <laughs> I want you, I want you making art with me. Um, give me a call, friends. <laughs> so what do you think? Are you feeling so inspired by this woman? that you have this impulse to send me your poems, your drawings, your sculptures and photographs, keeping in mind that you might be helping someone out there by sharing your story 
and that maybe someone out there will support you back. Thanks, Miyoko, for uh, that segment. Now, uh, moving on, for parents in Victoria, uh, finding childcare can be extremely difficult, especially when attending university. So students and staff at UVic with children are looking for some answers after changes uh, to campus childcare uh, that were uh, announced last year. Joining me in the studio to talk about his experience with the issue is Jonathan Farber. He is a grad student pursuing an MA in philosophy. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for uh, inviting me, and uh, I'm glad to be here this morning. Okay, uh, so can you explain to me uh, what the changes are to childcare at UVic? Um, I'll do my best, Hugo. Um, one thing I just want to correct really quickly is that although this might have been in the works a year ago, it was um, rather than being announced last year, it's only something that UVic has communicated to some parents as of uh, late June. So on the last day of school, of uh, 2016, um, so that would be June 23rd, uh, the university released a short um, memo to parents that, uh, that are currently using child care services at the University of Victoria. And so far that's the only information we have about what, how, how UVic plans to, to renovate child care spaces at, at the University of Victoria. And I'll give you um, the basic facts. They're going to invest $1.7 million into um, childcare, which sounds good. Um, we're not against, you know, investment in childcare. Um, but the way that money is being spent um, is it's going to take an existing out-of-school care program that um, up to 48 families use. Um, and instead of those spaces at some point in the future, um, the University of Victoria is going to repurpose the space for uh, preschool care. So specifically, they'll add 40 new spaces for um, three to five-year-olds. Um, uh, so that would be children of students, staff, and faculty, mostly. Um, and that, I think, is the only information we have so far about the changes to childcare on campus. And the, the issue was, was brought up recently at a uh, campus update with uh, President Jamie Castles. Uh, did you get any uh, clarification or, or any news on sort of what's going on there? Uh, this is a good question. I've been asking multiple people in administration for an explanation, for more information, because as I just said, um, this information has been hard to come by. Um, and I haven't had responses to any of my emails to um, to people in administration. So I've emailed multiple people in the office of the vice president academic, um, uh, the provost and vice president academic rather. And um, I eventually, um, after not hearing responses and not being able to talk about this with, um, with people in administration, when I was invited to the campus update um, last week, I did, I did uh, respond to that invitation asking if this would be something that we would learn about at the campus, campus update. Um, and I actually, that was the first time I got a response uh, to an email about this um, issue. And um, the response, you know, assured me that 
um, the president was was going to address this or hoped to address this rather at the com campus update. Um, but we we didn't really learn more um, at the campus update about about why this change was made or who was consulted or or um, yeah any of the details about when this is when when the renovations will be complete any of the any of the details about um, uh, that we were looking for. Um, so the short answer is no. We did not we did not really learn much from the campus update. And in fact, in person at the campus update, the, the president told me that um, he did not want to talk about childcare, at least not in that form, which is confirming my personal experience um, trying to talk to people about childcare on campuses. It's an issue that, is, that, is, um, that the administration is, is not talking a lot about and they haven't told us much about. This this issue seems to have gone on for a number of years. I recall a, a report released a couple of years ago trying to address like uh, long wait list times, uh, like for for quite a while. Yes, I think um, that would that would be the report in the ring. It probably was in two thousand nine, um, and yeah, at the time already it was an issue that there are lots of students and staff and faculty as well. On the wait list, and there were just not enough spaces in childcare to accommodate um, even most of the people who need childcare on campus. Um, yeah, so at the time, uh, the university—I don't know too much of the details—but they did, they did, uh, they did um, ha have social policy consulting done, and came back with the report um, recommending that the university expands childcare services. And that was in 2011, five years ago. And I think we have yet to see an expansion of childcare services. The spaces at childcare services are more or less the same um, over the past decade. And in fact, as of next year, they will be reduced. Um, so as I've, I've just explained, they're, they're cutting a program of 45 spaces. And at the point, even when they, when they um, reallocate some of those spaces, we'll have fewer spaces overall in child care services. And that's not an expansion at all for... Uh, and, and just to clarify, I, if I recall correctly, the, uh, the cuts were to after-school care in favor of, what was it, like full day? This is right. So obviously when, uh, when students are at school, um, they have care or, or parents don't have to don't have to worry about them at school. Um, so there are, they, they don't have full day care at the University of Victoria, but effectively, because the University of Victoria offers out of school care, it allows those parents of those children to work full time, to study full time, and so on. Um, so it, it, is, it is true that the spaces that the University of Victoria will repurpose will be used for full day care. And right now, the spaces that they're taking away, which are more spaces, again, by the way, um, are not full day care spaces. But for the parents, they are allowed to, um, to work full time because their children are being taken care of full time. Mm -hmm. um, What's the situation like at other universities? That's a very good question. Um, yeah, so let's look at our closest neighbors, um, UBC, SFU. Um, so in comparison to, to what we have at the University of Victoria, which is 126 full-time, um, including out-of-school care, so I won't say full-time care, there's 126 child care spaces. At the UBC, um, there have been repeated expansions over the past years, and right now they have 600 child care spaces. 
um, and at the uh, Simon Fraser University, which is a similar, very similar size to what we have at the University of Victoria, um, they have just approved an expansion that will increase the number of spaces in the spring to 370 childcare spaces. So we're, we're already falling behind our peer institutions in terms of what we offer and, or how we support students and staff and faculty with children on campus. And as far it's my opinion anyway that even with the new changes to childcare, we will not see that improve. It's not a significant expansion at all. And quite frankly, when we're investing $1.7 million of public money into a program like this, we want to see the money spent right. We want to see this done right. And I'll just be, um, maybe I'll, I'll let you ask your, your question, your next question be first before talking about that a little more. Okay. Yeah. Um, so are, how have parents responded and are they organized uh, in any way on right. the issue? Okay, so um, I just mentioned um, that the university is is spending um, 1.7 million dollars in renovating childcare facilities. Now, what, when we when we have a significant public investment um, and and we're renovating a, an existing physical structure on campus, and it's a renovation that will impact student services or, or campus services for people on, on campus, what we usually want to see is we want to see public consultation. We want to see open houses, town halls, surveys, um, uh, a lot of research and evidence that is supporting the way the money is being spent. And um, after the University of Victoria decided to get to, to discontinue their, their 0 to 12 childcare model and get rid of after school care, um, we've seen all unions on campus, um, almost all unions anyway, we've seen the, the University of Victoria Student Society, the Graduate Student Society, the Faculty Association, the Professional Employers Association, QP951, which represents the child care workers. Um, they have all expressed skepticism that the money is, is, being, um, is, is actually benefiting, benefiting the, the members of their unions. And there has been an organized response um, among the unions uh, to, to, to tell the university that they, this, is, this is not the sort of improvement and expansion that we were hoping for at UVic. Uh, so to answer your question, yes, there has been um, an organized response so far. We're currently trying to organize a, a, a sort of more formal parent presence. Um, it doesn't have to be just parents. Um, it can be, you know, the staff at, at UVic and the students that don't have children as well. Um, but we, we've just set up a Twitter account yesterday, um, and that could, you can find us there at, uh, at UVic Child. Um, and we're, we're working on setting up an email address and, and a website that would sort of represent our stance on this issue. Mm -hmm. And uh, you brought this up a little earlier. Why should students without kids also care about you know, the, the lack of childcare spaces? That's a very good question. Uh, well, the very general reason here is that the University of Victoria um, is committed to values like inclusion, equitability, um, and diversity. And if you look at the student population on campus and you look at the number of us that, that have children, um, students with children are underrepresented learners. If you look at the general population and the number of the general population that have, that have children, and you look at the student population here, um, we don't have a lot of students with children. It's true. Most students don't have children. That's a fact. 
um, the reason, one of the reasons anyway, that they should care about um, welcoming and including other kinds of students on campus, students like myself, for instance, um, is that it, it increases the diversity of our campus. Um, it, it sort of enriches our campus community. Um, and yeah, it, it just strengthens our university. I think, I think it's good for our university to have many kinds of learners on campus. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, what, do you, what do you want from administration like right now? What would be, what would be ideal for you? The first step is information. We want, we want to know what the plan is. We want to know um, the reasons for the plan, the evidence um, that this plan will benefit students. Um, right now, the truth is we don't know exactly what students want. We don't know exactly what students need. And even if we do know and understand what students want and need, we don't know yet whether the solution that the university has come up with actually address those wants and needs of students. So I'm, I'm a bit, I'm, I, I know I'm avoiding the question. What I'm saying is it's not up to me personally to decide how the university solves the child care problem. It's up to the public and the university needs to listen and consult with the public and they need to um, research and study what the university public and the students and the staff and faculty, what they want what they need, and then they need to make sure that the solution that they've come up with actually solves these problems um, and actually helps students. So the short answer is we just want to see students, staff, and faculty with children. We just want to see support and expansion of services and help for them. Um, and the long answer is that we do think that sort of help will include out-of-school care programs because children who are four or five that are starting kindergarten and up, um, they also need full-time care. They also, um, they, they also need to be, their parents also need to be part of this campus community. Um, mm -hmm. And, so, and uh, just to clarify, so there have been, uh, there have been a, like a few short press statements about the issue, about what they're, what they're going to do, but you're looking for like a, a wider, like a, like a consult? We would want to see, for example, um, a comprehensive report on this issue. If there are, are committees behind this, um, if there are minutes for those committees, we want to see those minutes as well. We want to see basically all and any documentation that the university has surrounding this decision. Um, so ideally, that would include a, a, a very detailed plan as well um, about how the space is going to look once it's renovated, um, when it's going to be renovated, when the renovations are going to be complete, um, and, and just things like that. And that's just a start, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, and how can other students help? That's a good question. Um, I think one thing that we can do is, is connect with us on, on Twitter and, uh, and email. Um, but the, the most important thing right now is if you find that this is a problem you want, you want to talk about with the university or that you feel strongly about as well, um, try, try getting in touch with, uh, with the director of campus services, um, Jim Forbes. Um, his email is, I think, jgforbes at uvic.ca. You can find that online as well. And just send a quick email um, telling, telling the administration that you're worried that this is not helping our campus and that you want to make sure that the money and the, that money that the university is using, your money, by the way, um, you want to make sure that that's being spent well to support um, students, staff, and faculty with children. 
We're going to have to leave it there. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, Jonathan Farber is a grad student at UVic. He was speaking to me about childcare available uh, to students.
that was Twist Your Ankle by Andy Schoaf this Sunday. He is in town. He'll be performing at Sugar Night. Did I say that wrong? Schoff. Andy Schoff. Andy Schoff. I'm so sorry, Andy. <laughs> He's performing at Sugar Nightclub on Sunday night with Doors at 8. And uh, you just heard the voice of Cormac O'Brien, a staff writer at the Martlet. He is joined by its editor-in-chief, Miles Sauer, to talk more about the President's Campus Update. Hello, all. Howdy. Thanks for having us. So, uh, Cormac, give us the rundown. What did, what did you hear? Uh, we heard a lot of the word granular uh, from Jamie Castles, mm-hmm. uh, mainly talking about how he didn't want to get too granular. Uh, we kind of didn't hear a lot of details. Uh, it's something in you, your previous interview, we kind of heard there wasn't a lot of details about the childcare in specific. Uh, but there wasn't a lot of details about a lot of things, mainly because he spoke about a lot of topics, stayed generally, you know, uh, talked about those topics in general, didn't get too specific about anything. But we did hear a lot, a lot about childcare, a lot about indigenous relationships. He spoke quite a bit on that. Uh, and a lot about just the future of universities in general. It was kind of a bit of a philosophical discussion about what universities are, their changing roles, uh, and a lot about how more and more people are going to university, there are more and more universities in the world, and what that means for UVic uh, and UVic's place among all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, did he talk about Edge? Because I just saw like a, a bus ad, you know, like in a, in a bus shelter, and I, and I saw a, center, a centerfold in the, in the Globe and Mail. Yeah, he also pointed out uh, there was like a 29-foot-long advertisement at uh, an airport in Toronto. So he did he did speak a lot about advertising um, because there has been obviously a huge kind of campaign that UVic have been rolling out. He spoke of advertising not as a way to kind of brag about what UVic does, but again, just trying to... Uh, he talked a lot about UVic's reputation and how he didn't think that UVic's reputation was quite in line with the quality that the university possesses and, you know, the quality he thinks the university has. So he talked a lot about just trying to drive up that reputation to a point where people think about UVic the same way that he would think about UVic. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised at how hard they keep rallying around UVic Edge considering how much the Martlet clowns on it. Well, he did. <laughs> he, he almost made fun of it himself. He, he uh, you know, just before he spoke... He, you know, he was talking about this advertising campaign and he said, excuse me, I'm going to be speaking with some edge language here. So he obviously knows that it's a little, you know, a little, mm-hmm. I don't know, whatever the word you would use, interesting. I, uh, I mean, I think all corporate, like, top-down branding policies tend to elicit at least a small amount of, you know, like, humor at best, derision at mm-hmm. worst. Edge is the name of his, like, secret doomsday weapon since he was dressed <laughs> at the campus update as a Bonville and, like you said, Cormac. Yeah, he, uh, he was in a black... <laughs> Black shirt, black blazer, very, very Bond, yeah. I keep muttering about dark Jamie at the office. <laughs> um, and and people can see this you know, for themselves. They can watch the entire campus update from beginning to end, I believe, on uh, UVic's website. I think it was can they film. really? Why, yeah. yeah. Why were we even there then? Well, <laughs> you told me to didn't me. know. I don't, they... know man. don't tell me this now. <laughs> okay, so, so this wasn't a student audience. This was a staff audience. And how was that a different environment since they don't just see it at school because for them, it's the workplace. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that ties into a little bit talking generally kind of philosophically about universities. These are people whose lives depend on the way universities run. If, you know, for a student, uh, you know, we're not thinking about how UVic fits in with the greater university, you know, with other universities in the world. We're just here to learn, you know, and that's kind of it. Uh, but for, you know, for Jamie and for all these staff members, it was very much a case of what can we do from an administration level you know, to match up against all these other administrations of all these other universities across the world. And I think, so I think that's probably why that came into play so much. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and what kind of questions did the staff members ask? What were they interested in? Well, the first question was about uh, childcare, and that was definitely the most awkward uh, kind of moment within the campus update. Again, Jamie Castle didn't want to get too specific on matters. Um, and he, unfortunately, as, as you man said, he had the unfortunate uh, quote of, I'm sorry for, you know, I'm sorry for making this awkward. I just don't want to talk about childcare, which in retrospect was maybe not the best thing to say. Um, but yeah, so childcare was brought up by a staff member and then by Jonathan, you know, your last, your last talker. Um, there was something about flags that was brought up, but I think that was mainly just brought up to change the subject from childcare. So I wouldn't read too much into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then some other little policies about individual departments and ways in which they thought the university could kind of better them and, you know, provide either more resources or more hands on deck and things like that. It was very much a policy driven debate. Now, the staff members maybe weren't too interested in the philosophy of university, but, um, but some were for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you touched on this a little earlier, but did you see sort of like wider concerns about sort of how how the university runs for for staff and for faculty as opposed to to people in the classroom? Um, I'm not sure. How can you rephrase that question a little bit? I'm just trying to think. Like for for students, you know, one of the you know the things they care about. I don't know uh, class sizes. We talked about food prices mm-hmm. last week, um, but I don't know right now. What would be an example of a staff concern? Uh, pensions, mm-hmm. academic freedom. <laughs> uh, gosh, I think there was. A, I, I think there was a larger concern about resources, and I think that would probably play into that. There were you know people asking about resources for the department. There were staff members who brought up you know, resources for the child care center. And I think um, I think that was probably a large part of the discussion, especially because Jamie was talking so much about advertising and talking about the resources that they devoted to advertising. So I think the staff were maybe, and you know, I'm maybe projecting a little bit here. I wouldn't say this was the case for everybody there, but I think there was a little bit of concern over resource allocation, how much of it is going to, you know, uh, pushing UVic out amongst the rest of the world and then how much is actually being spent at UVic you know, in order to better what we've got here rather than, you know, what we're projecting out. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to leave it there. Uh, Miles Cormack, thanks so much. Thanks Thanks for having us. Cormac O'Brien is a staff writer at the Martlet, and Miles Sauer is the editor-in-chief. And that is it for another episode of You in the Ring. For story tips, please send a message to spokenword at cfuv.ca. I want to thank our correspondent, Miyoko. Our producer is Liz MacArthur, and I'm your host, Hugo Wong.